Well, good morning, everyone, Atonement family. Hope you all are doing well. I hope you followed the instructions. Obviously, if you're tuned in and you're seeing me, you found one part of the instructions, but you still need to have your Bible ready to go for our time uh, in the Word this morning, and hopefully you grabbed uh, some coffee or tea. Um, this is the first time that I'm aware of that Atonement has gone virtual for its Sunday morning worship. Is that right? First time ever? Virtual worship? Uh, a lot of churches are probably in the same boat. Um, we are trying to make sure that we have email contact with everyone uh, in our church family. And so I sent out an email uh, last night just uh, asking if there was anyone who did not receive our emails, if you could help us kind of track down and, and care for those people as well. We want to shepherd well even when we're not gathered here for worship. Uh, and so if you could uh, make sure that people are checking their junk uh, mail folders or their spam folders just to see if our emails are slipping in there and then they can identify it as not spam or not junk, uh, then they should be able to receive our emails from us. Uh, also, if they're just not receiving them at all, if they could just send an email to us with uh, the words, add me to the list, either in the subject or in the body of the email, um, send that to info at atonementlife.org. We will add them to our list of contacts so we can keep everybody in the loop uh, during this strange season that we're in. Uh, I said in, a, in a, one of our test videos yesterday that this is something that's a little bit weird. Uh, it probably feels weird to be worshiping virtually together uh, as a congregation. We have over 75 people. Uh, you can probably see how many people are on there now. Um, so either people or, or households gathered for our virtual worship this morning. Um, but something that I said yesterday is, you know, it feels weird to us, but this is actually how many around the world gather for worship on a regular basis. This is actually um, a, a moment for us to remember and realize that the church all around the world has opportunities for gathering for worship much like this, where they're in their homes and they're gathered around screens, whether through the TV or their phones or, or, or uh, their computers to receive instruction. And as I was uh, driving in for this morning uh, to prepare for the service, I, a thought struck me, which was that this is such a unique opportunity for the American church to kind of be um, woken up a little bit to what ministry is really all about. Because we've really become a church that predominantly we think of church as an event, that it's something that we come to. And we oftentimes think of church as a place, a place where we come and gather. And so right now, that paradigm is being challenged a little bit. We're in a season where we have to think about what it means to do ministry when it, there's not an event to attend. And we also have to think about what it means to be the church to one another uh, whenever we are not gathered in one place on a Sunday morning. And so I think God is going to be teaching His churches all through uh, America right now and around the world a lot about how to be the church and how to do relational ministry with one another. Um, what I'd like to do is just open us with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Terrence to come up and lead us in our call to worship. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us to have the infrastructure and the technology to continue with our worship, to not have our lives uh, interrupted in such a way that we cannot gather around your word. We pray, Father, that you would uh, allow our hearts to focus on your truth and to meditate on your goodness and love toward us. We pray against any distractions of technology. We pray against any distractions of this being weird, Lord. Help us to unite our hearts and minds in the cause of reminding ourselves of your grace and love and singing your praises from wherever we are seated Wherever we are this morning, uh, we thank you for this moment, and we ask your blessing upon it. In Christ's name, amen. Church of the Atonement, we gather this morning in our respective places to worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hear now God's call to worship from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth 
and forevermore. Right where you are this morning, join with us as we sing together, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Prepare our hearts to confess our sin to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, you are the God of grace. You, O oh God, have credited our sin to Christ, our substitute, and have credited Christ's righteousness to our souls. You clothed us with the bridegroom's robe, you have adorned us with jewels of holiness. But in our Christian walks, we confess we are still in rags. Our prayers, which we consider best, are stained with sin. Our tears of sorrow are saturated with impurity. Our confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. Our numerous desires for good are tainted with selfishness. Oh God, we need to repent of our repentance. We need our tears to be washed. We have no robe to bring out of our closet to cover our sins. We are not able to prepare anything righteous to wear in your presence, Lord. We are always standing clothed in filthy, ragged, soiled clothes. And God, by grace, by grace we're always receiving change of garments. For you, you, O oh God, and you alone 
justify the ungodly through Christ. We are always wandering into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me. And you are always bringing forth the best robe. Our Father, every morning let us wear it, every evening return in it, go to the day's work in it, be married in it, be wound in death in it, stand before the great white throne in it, enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Gracious Father, grant us never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Jesus Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of grace. We make this prayer of confession in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, Lord, and King of the universe. Amen. Our assurance of pardon comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Hear this, the Lord's forgiving of our sin. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he, Jesus Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal, an eternal redemption. Amen. Let's continue in worship as Luke and Carrie lead us in our anthem.
I can remember to turn my mic on. We are at the point in our service this morning where uh, big kids, you need to cover your ears. So if you are above the age of 11, this sermon's not for you. This is the short sermon. Uh, this is the little sermon for all the little kids that are out there. Uh, so if you are 10, 11, and under, uh, this is a time for you to get front row at the screen um, because this is our children's sermon. And uh, today, what I thought about for our children's sermon is actually a word that we're going to hear in our big sermon in just a little bit. And that word is the word mediator. Mediator, not meteor, not the, the rock that comes out of outer space and crashes down into the earth, not a meteor, the word mediator. Do you know what a mediator is? A mediator is someone that stands between two people who aren't getting along. There's something keeping them apart. And the mediator stands between them and works things out so that they can be together. And so I don't know if you have ever had a, a time where you needed a mediator. Maybe you and your brother or sister were fighting, or maybe you and your best friend. I can remember a time when my best friend and I could not get along because there was something that I was doing that was hurting my best friend's feelings. And we needed a mediator. We needed someone to help us see what was going wrong and see how much we still needed each other. And so one of my friends was a mediator. He took me aside and he said, Ryan, you're hurting Ben's feelings. You're hurting his feelings because you are not talking to him. You're hurting his feelings because you said you won't be his friend anymore. You're hurting his feelings because you're being mean to him. And what he was helping me see is that I was not living as a good friend. I needed someone else to tell me what I was doing wrong. And so he was being a mediator between Ben and I, bringing us back together. And there's a, a verse in the Bible that says this. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so it's important. We're going to be talking about how Samuel was a mediator between God's people, Israel, and God, and he was helping Israel see how they were not listening to God and how they were hurting God by the way that they were living. And in the same way, our prayer for each one of you is that you will grow up and understand how Jesus stands as a mediator between us and God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we can learn new words that tell us about Jesus, that help us understand what Jesus does for us. And so we pray, Father, that for all the children of our church, and the grown-ups for that matter, we would understand what it means that Jesus is our mediator, that he speaks on our behalf to you, that he speaks to us and helps us see how we don't listen to your voice, but how you want to love us and care for us. And thank you, Lord, that he mediates that when he speaks on our behalf, you see his goodness and righteousness, and you love us anyway. We thank you for this truth and pray that you would help us all to understand it more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to pick up uh, our sermon series by looking at 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to be uh, beginning in verse 6. So if you haven't already found it, uh, please take a moment with your Bibles and and try to find that passage, 1 Samuel 12, uh, verse 6. And, um, you know, I was thinking as I was getting ready for this sermon, a lot of times we say, you know, college doesn't prepare you for everything you'll experience in life, ministry uh, especially. Um, and we also say the seminary doesn't prepare you for anything. But actually, I'm, I'm fairly prepared for this day. Uh, there was a time in college where we had something called preaching labs. And it was where you were in a big room that was made to look like a church. And it was just you and a couple people, three or four people. And you had to dress up, even though everyone else was wearing just normal clothes. And you had to stand in front of a camera and you had to give a sermon as if you were actually preaching. So we've actually uh, been prepared for this moment. Um, now, that being said, it does feel a little strange to just be here with a couple of folks. 
but I'm very thankful for them uh, helping us to, uh, to have this broadcast this morning. And I'm also thankful that we, uh, we are able to just come around God's Word, even virtually, and be fed by it. Um, so we are in the third week of our series called In Search of a King, and we've been looking kind of at the, the history of Israel's struggle with kingship. Now, um, just a word about uh, reading our Bibles. I mean, sometimes when we read our Bible, especially when we're in Old Testament, we're reading about Israel and, and their uh, struggles with the Lord. We might sit and think, you know, I'm supposed to get something out of this, but I'm not really sure how this is speaking to me. And something that's helpful for us to remember is that God's Word is always trying to teach us something about God and also something about us. And if we're reading the Old Testament, any time that we see Israel, it's a good indication that this is a part that's speaking to us. That even though we're not actual Israel, we are, hopefully, one of God's children, one of His people. And so it's that approach that we're taking with this sermon series. Just as Israel struggled with God's kingship in their lives, we need to understand that we do too. And there are lessons for us to learn from their past uh, that speak to our lives now. So just a, a quick summary for us. You know, we've had a lot going on in our world this week, and, um, and I'm not sure that we might all have fresh in our minds where we've been in this sermon series, but a quick summary. Um, even though every nation in the ancient Near East had a king, Israel was to be different. Israel was different from the very start because they weren't a people that grew uh, out of a family that had a king over them other than God. God made Israel into a nation. God was the one who had been protecting the people of Israel. God was the one who provided for their welfare. God was the one who gave them their land. God was the one that created their culture and established the justice system among them. God was effectively Israel's king. And he's the king that they needed, but as we see in this history, he's not the king that they wanted. And so for the first week, we looked at a time in Israel's history, the time of the judges, into the beginning of 1 Samuel, and it was a time where there was no king in Israel. Everyone wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. It was a time where Israel tried to live as they wanted and have God serve them. To them, God was a tool that could be used for their convenience. And that's the type of king that they wanted, but it's not the type of king that they needed. He's not a king that could be used uh, as a tool of convenience. That's not how they offered, or that's not how God offers himself to them. And so what we saw is that God is not content to just be kind of on the sidelines and to be a God that serves us, but rather he wanted to create a people that existed to serve him, his purpose, his glory. They were to be a light to the nations. And so God would not be the king if they only received him to be a tool for their convenience, that he would only come and fight their battles. He could only be their king if they served him with their whole heart. And it's when they did that he was exactly the king that they needed. He delivered them from the hands of the Philistines. He restored to them the cities that they lost. Well, last week we looked at how Israel still, even though they were in this position of peace with God as their king, they grew tired of having no king. They grew tired of being a king or a nation without a king like all the other nations. And so again, they wanted a king to serve them, a king that would judge them and go out before them and, and fight their battles. In their minds, they wanted a real king, a real king that would have power and give them a comfort and security that they just didn't have without having that type of representation. But in asking for the king, we saw that they were actually rejecting God's kingship. And so Samuel, last week we saw Samuel warns them that if they got the king they wanted, that type of king would have to take and take and take from Israel. Israel wanted the king to make them feel safe, to make them feel important and secure, but to have a king like that, it would turn them into slaves. But they didn't listen to Samuel's warning. And as I said last week, it can be easy for us to look down our nose at Israel, but we do the exact same thing with God. There comes a point where something leaves us dissatisfied, where we actually think that God isn't sufficient enough to handle the things that we face. And so we want another king, a real king. And it's usually something good that we take and we try to make it serve us, to make us feel safe or secure, or to make us feel important. It's usually a good thing, and it might be something like uh, money or a relationship 
or even a ministry, but it's anything that we take and we think God is not sufficient to meet our needs in the face of this circumstance, and we try to elevate something else into the place of king in our lives. And so we'll do anything that we can to give it the power it needs to serve us in that way. That's where Israel is at this point in our story. And this week we're going to pick up that story a little further down the line. By this point, Israel has their first king, King Saul. And although Saul comes from one of the lesser tribes of Israel, he is exactly the type of king that Israel wanted. He's, first of all, very good looking, the Bible says. Handsome. So they have a handsome guy, and he's described as being head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. Literally, he's head and shoulders taller. So he's a giant of a man. And so in Saul, they have what looks like a great warrior, exactly the type of person that they wanted to be their king. And when Israel is in trouble, they're getting attacked by the Ammonites, God actually uses Saul to raise up an army together, and Saul delivers Israel from the hand of the Ammonites. And so by this point, it seems like things are actually going surprisingly well. The kingship is in its infancy, but things are going very well. And so where we're picking up the story is now that they have the king that they want, Samuel is at a point where he is handing over the reins of leadership to Saul. And that's where we're going to pick up our reading this morning. Now, in our passage this morning, we're going to see four things. We're going to see, first, the case against Israel. We're going to see the fear that comes upon Israel. Then the grace that is over Israel. And we're going to see the man that is for Israel. So let's begin at verse 6. It's going to be a little bit of a longer passage, so I encourage you to uh, follow along and listen to Samuel's words, beginning in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 12. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. We have served the Baals and the Asheroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if you, both you and your king, who reigns over you, will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves. Okay. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people cried out to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people. 
for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only hear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Well, that's a long passage of scripture to read, but it really helps to present a full picture of what is happening here between God and his people. The first thing that we see in this passage is the case that is against Israel. As Samuel sees his days as Israel's leader coming to the close, he knows he must speak his peace. Like he's done all his days, he needs to set Israel straight. If Israel was ever going to straighten up and live like they ought to live as God's people, they needed to see and know how they have strayed. And so Samuel reminds them of their past behavior. He rehearses from day one this pattern, this cycle of behavior, all the way up to the most recent offense. And this is the pattern. Israel finds itself in trouble, and God rescues and delivers them. And it's when they are delivered that Israel then says, you know, thanks, but forgets how much they need God and what he has called them to be. And they begin to wander away from Israel and do what they want, living for their own glory, seeking their own security. And so God lets them wander right into trouble again. And this cycle repeats like a broken record. That's what Samuel lays out before the people. And Samuel ends with the most recent offense, seeking a king. Samuel says it was their fear of the, the Ammonites that drove them to seek a king. This is such a helpful insight for us about what we kind of covered last week because it shows us that Israel doubted that God would handle this new threat. Essentially, their desire for the king, like all the other nations, came from a, a moment of unbelief. And isn't that the same thing that sends us straying as well? When we try to make something a king in our lives, when we try to find security or meaning or comfort or fulfillment in something, it, it happens because there's a sliver of doubt. There's a, a point in our lives where we have a tinge of unbelief, where our emotions make us feel that our problem is too big for God to handle. And that's what happens in our lives. That's what happened in Israel's life. Well, if Israel is straying from God, the next step in the pattern is for Israel to wander right into danger again. And that's exactly what Samuel wants to save them from. He knows that if they're ever going to change, if they're ever going to break this pattern, this cycle, they need a wake-up call. And so the case against Israel has been made. He has laid out the case before them. But the next thing that we see is the fear that needs to come upon Israel in order to wake them up. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. I know I've been in this situation quite a number of times, but have you ever tried to convince someone of a wrong that they have done? This has happened to me on more than one occasion where someone's been trying to convince me of a wrong that I've done, or I've been trying to convince even my children, you know, Elliot, to, to know something that he has done, how he has you know, sinned against his mom or his dad. And I'm sure it's happened to many parents over the years. You lay out the case, you try to explain offense after offense. And have you ever had this moment where you're talking to them and you're explaining everything and you see the look in their eyes that tells you these words aren't getting through. I might as well be talking to a wall. These words are having no effect. It's almost like what was happening with Samuel and Israel. Samuel lays out the case and it's almost as if he can see that just words are not going to do anything to grab the hearts of this people. Israel needs a wake-up call. They need something to remind them who it is that they've wronged and how wrong it was for them to ask for this king. And so Samuel, without skipping a beat, he lays out the case, but then he says, stand still and watch. And he says, isn't today the wheat harvest? I will call on God and he will send thunder and rain. Now something we have to remember about harvest time in Israel is that that's between May and June or July. Harvest time was a dry season. Now there are occasions where there might be rain that comes into the land, but those occasions are very rare. And for Samuel to call upon this sign, and then in the middle of the dry season, for there to be rain and thunder, that's the event 
that, that happens. The rains come, and really, this is evidence of God showing up. Rain and thunder come down, and it says that the people feared God and Samuel. This was exactly the sign that Israel needed. Israel is gripped with fear. And so what was it that filled them with fear? I mean, surely torrential rains and thunder and lightning, those could be terrifying things, but it wasn't the storm that brought fear into Israel's heart. It was what the storm pointed to. It's what the storm indicated. This was an encounter with the living God. It was a moment when God became real to them. It was a moment when they realized that the king that they had doubted, the king that they had lost faith in, was now the king that was coming against them. And it brought them to their knees. This, was, this is something, as we look at it, that can be so uncomfortable for us. The idea of God showing his power and displeasure towards us. But something we need to realize is that even though God shows himself in this terrifying way, it's actually a grace. You know, God could have just allowed Israel to keep wandering. God could have just remained silent. But by revealing himself to Israel, even in this terrifying way, God is acting in grace. And by God's grace, he will act the same way for us. You see, their sin, their unbelief began because their view of God was just too small. They saw the nations around them. They saw the Ammonites growing in power. And in their minds, God was too small. And it led them to wander from him. They needed a security that they could look to. They needed somebody who was head and shoulders above the rest. And so the only way to bring them back from this path of wandering was for them to have their view of God become a lot bigger. They needed a wake-up call. They needed to see just how big God was. We need to see that they did not deserve this wake-up call. They deserved no intervention. They deserved to get what was coming to them. But instead, God shows up and he shakes Israel awake. He makes himself real to them. As the familiar hymn goes, "'Twas grace that taught their hearts to fear." And as we'll see, God's grace continues, and it works to relieve their fears as we see the grace that is over Israel. But in this point, we see it's grace that teaches Israel's heart to fear, to see God for who he really is. Well, once Israel gets a sense of God's presence, they plead for Samuel's prayers. They say to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask ourselves, to ask for ourselves a king. This is such an amazing part of this whole story. Because at this moment, we would expect Samuel to say, yeah, guys, you blew it. You finally see what you did. You blew it. You should feel terrible. But instead, Samuel doesn't do that. Instead of speaking condemnation, what does Samuel do? He doesn't take it personal that they rejected him and God. But Samuel speaks grace. He says to them, do not be afraid. You know, grace taught their hearts to fear, but now Samuel, as their mediator, speaks the grace to relieve their fears. Samuel points out the elephant in the room. He says, you have done all this evil. Yeah. But instead of dwelling upon their sins, Samuel commends them to live a different way. You see this, instead of dwelling on their past, Samuel orients them now at this point toward their future. He says, serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver. Samuel is instructing them in, in how they should live now that they have a better understanding of who God is. Notice that it's only once Israel had their hearts broken and softened that Samuel doesn't need to dwell on the past, but he can move forward to the grace that could be theirs in the present and the future. And Samuel tells them why they can receive such good news. He says, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Israel at this moment is probably reeling from whiplash. Their view of God was so small it was so small, but then God now has revealed himself in a very big way, and all of a sudden, Israel 
fell in terror before God, seeing his holiness and, and the fear that, that, brought, uh, that God brought into their hearts as he revealed himself. But then now, God reveals himself even more through the words of Samuel. The God who can make every heart in Israel tremble is also the God that can comfort every heart with his faithfulness. Well, we still see another thing in our passage this morning, and that is we see the man that Israel truly needed at this time. They thought they needed a king to bring them security, but what they needed was a mediator to remind them of the security they already had. When the people were struck with fear and horror at where they stood before God, they pleaded for Samuel to pray for God's mercy for them. Now Israel had already seen that though they rejected God, God would not forsake them. And now, even though they had rejected God's spokesman, the mediator that went between them and this holy God, they now see that Samuel shows he will not forsake his duties either. In verse 23, we see Samuel's answer to the people. He says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and right way. Two things that Samuel vows to do for Israel. First, he will not stop praying or mediating on their behalf. And second, he will teach or instruct them how they should go. This is such a picture of faithfulness. Samuel has served Israel in faithfulness his whole life, from his youth to his last days. He's always acted for Israel's benefit, and not because they deserved it, but because God deserves it. Even though Israel rejected him and asked for a king, Samuel obeys his call. Even here, as his days as Israel's mediator are coming to a close, Samuel does not cease being faithful to them. Not because they've done anything to earn his faithfulness, but because Samuel lives to please God. Samuel's leadership under God's kingship was nothing that Israel had wanted at the time, but now Israel realizes it is everything that they needed. Samuel stands in these chapters as such a clear example of the kind of mediator that we need. Last week and this week really served to remind us of our need for the gospel. Like Israel, we need to see the case that stands against us. We need to see the bad news and hear it. We need a bigger view of God, one that reminds us who it is that we betray, one that reminds us that we struggle with our tinges of unbelief and doubt. And when we do, we are walking away from the Lord who is holy and faithful. And when we go astray and our, our picture of God is too small and we look for another king, we need a mediator who is faithful to us, even when we are unfaithful. One who acts on our behalf because of his love for God. One who never ceases to pray for us and instructs us in the way that we should go. One that shows us by his own standard of living how clearly we have sinned, but tells us to go and sin no more. One who delivers the bad news so that we can receive the good news. Our passage, this Old Testament story, has been preparing hearts to yearn for a day when God's people could know that yes, you are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we've ever dared to believe, and yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope in Christ Jesus, the one who mediates forever for God's people. This is such an incredible story of God's grace, and yet it highlights the most wonderful story of God's grace. That God owes us nothing and yet makes himself known to us. Though he should just let us walk into the disasters that we write into our lives, he acts and he wakes us up. There was a moment where God brought darkness and thunder and earthquakes in the middle of the day, showing his displeasure at our sin. But to see that that displeasure did not fall on us, but upon Christ. You see, it's when we look to the cross that we can be gripped with fear and also awe at God's grace. I love the lines of the song, It Is Well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, 
is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Like Israel, when we look to the cross, we see the case against us. We can be gripped by the fear that comes upon us when we understand who it is that we have sinned against. And yet we also see the grace over us as we look to the man who stands for us. We look to him like Israel and can consider the great things that God has done for us and know that he intercedes and mediates for us even now. And so as we understand how Christ still pleads on our behalf before the throne of grace, let us turn to that throne and let us pray a prayer of intercession uh, and enter into that time now as part of our worship this morning, praying in his name. Would you please join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for recording for us this word that guides us in the way we should go, that holds up like a mirror our own lives to see how it is that we have sinned against you, who you are, how we need your grace, and the one that you have sent to bring grace to us. Father, in this time of uncertainty and fear and anxiety about this virus that is spreading so quickly in our nation, we pray that you would be with our people. We pray, Father, that you would show mercy and kindness to us, that you would protect us. We pray that we would not give in to doubt or fear or anxiety, but that we would remember you are bigger than this thing. Lord, we know that it might not mean that we are kept perfectly safe from getting an infection or an illness or dealing with loneliness or depression or any of these things, Lord, but Lord, help us to think and know how you are bigger than the problems that we face. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. We confess, Father, in our weakness, it's so easy to give into despair. Help us to have a better and bigger picture of your grace and your goodness, of your strength and your power. Father, as we are not gathered in one place, but in many places, uh, virtually, and there are those who may not even be gathering with us this morning uh, because they do not have access to this live stream. Lord, we want to lift them up to you now. We want to pray on behalf of all the needs of our church. And Lord, you know each one in detail, by name. And so we trust all these situations to you. For those who need your comfort, for those who need your encouragement, for no, those who need your strength, for those who need your patience in long-suffering, Lord, we ask for these things. Not because we think that we would deserve them, but because we believe in Christ you would give them to us so that we might walk faithfully as your people. And so we pray for those things. Lord, we pray for those who are serving in ministry all around the world. As the world is affected by this crisis, we pray that you would protect them as well. For those who labor on the front lines of ministry, Father, we ask that you would use this opportunity to build uh, relationships that point people to you and your goodness. Father, we pray as your church that you would equip us for this very awkward season where being a church is not uh, coming to a place, where doing ministry is not showing up at an event. Help equip us to do the things that we must do to care for our neighbors and love them well. Give us capacity to check on one another and to shepherd and care for one another and speak words of encouragement and remind one another of this good news that it is to be your people, even in the midst of this uncertain time. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We ask, uh, Father, all these things in the strong name of Christ who mediates on our behalf before the throne. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to uh, close our service by singing our last song, and then I will give the words of benediction.
King who rules over us. I um, just wanted to encourage all of you to be sticking close to your emails as developments uh, progress through this week. We're going to try to continue to uh, do ministry effectively virtually as we gather for worship. Um, Gateway is, uh, is postponed. I'm not sure if everyone got to see that announcement, but the new members Gateway is, is postponed for a while. Gateway Junior, we're going to be working on a way to facilitate uh, that teaching in the home. So we look forward to, to sharing that with you this week. Um, also, just want to uh, to encourage everyone to be checking in on, on one another uh, in this time, asking how you can be praying for one another. It's a unique opportunity to be the church in a, in a very different context. But I have no doubt that God will uh, guide us by His Spirit and His Word to be effective and fruitful uh, for His glory. Now receive this word of benediction. Until we meet again and worship in the name of the Lord, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and as we go.